I before I went to bed last night, like I just started feeling really sick. So I'm not gonna touch anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to sit pretty far away from Emilio. Uh, I wasn't even going to come today, and then folks were praying for me, and I, I got dressed, and I'm here. So I've been drinking steady diet of Pepto all night, um, so it's all good. Uh, just don't shake my hand. Um, but uh, um, Emilio, is uh, uh, he's our young adult pastor. He's going to help me preach today. And um, we're kicking off a new sermon series called Dream Again. And uh, what we're... What we're looking at is um, really there's a lot of momentum in January, especially the first few weeks of January, to make New Year's resolutions, to start new things, to get going again. And um, I don't, I don't, I don't really knock that. I think that's good. I think it's helpful. Um, but we do want to focus a little bit on those dreams, or on those goals, or on those potentials uh, that we have. And actually, I mean, I'm, I, I don't. I was talking to Brian yesterday. Um, you know, uh, we, were, we, were, we were talking about New Year's resolutions and goals and all that kind of thing. And I said, man, I don't, I don't really look down on people who have New Year's resolutions. Like, if you're in your mid-30s and you're still making New Year's resolutions after 30-some New Year's, you know? I mean, that, that means you got some hope inside of you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like people that have been married more than three times. I mean, they got some hope, you know? I mean, that's just, it's just you know anyway so i i like I, I think it's good to get set some goals and stuff because you can get cynical after a while you can get cynical after a while through life and you realize oh i'm not really you know it's, it's a new year but it's not really a new me and and I, I, I think it's good to set some new goals and set some new thoughts um as we head into uh this brand new year and uh, just just kind of to treat it that way but uh having said that i think it's important that we frame those dreams um, yeah, through the lens of what, of what God wants for us. So God has dreams for us. God has visions for us. God has a plan for us. John, uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. These are the plans that God has for us. And um, I believe that, that they're very real and they're very much applicable to our lives today. And so as we dream, Let's go ahead and dream again, but let's dream in accordance and in alignment with what God is dreaming over us. And, um, and, and those dreams aren't always, um, you know, perfect and, and clean and easy. Um, uh, one of the things that, 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 I, I, that we, were, we were talking about, I was talking to Bryony about how I, I can understand how people become cynical when it comes to New Year's resolutions because... You know, after 30-some years on this planet, you start to figure out that, well, you know, change doesn't always happen all at once. It doesn't, it's not like, okay, I'm going to lose 30 pounds this year just, just because, you know. There's a, there's a process. There's a, there's a, there's a, there, the change happens through, through, through a course of process and really through building um, that elusive thing called momentum. And um, I'm, I'm a Lions, Detroit Lions fan. I've been a Detroit Lions fan all my life. And uh, we were in the playoffs um, <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> but uh, last night we had our first game of the playoffs, which is usually when we decide to get out of the playoffs. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if that makes me a bad fan, but I really wasn't that shocked. You know, I wasn't like, oh, my goodness, we didn't, we didn't beat Seattle in Seattle. Um, primarily because 
like we had momentum right we had momentum throughout the season we were doing so great even without megatron we were we, we were still winning games and all that kind of stuff and like four weeks ago we were in position not only to get in the playoffs but to win our division we were two games ahead of green bay and then we just went on like a three game losing streak three out of the last four seasonal games one against a Dallas Cowboy game that was on, like Dallas was on a snap count. They weren't even running their best players and they were in our house and, you know, and so it's like you can see, it's, it's funny because momentum's like that, right? Because it, it takes a while to build, right? Like you're, you're what, it, that, what momentum is, is one good decision stacked on top of another, stacked on top of another, stacked on, and after a while you start getting confident, after a while you start getting hopeful, after a while you start feeling it, and it's like, yeah, I'm feeling this, and as a football fan, it's like, yeah, you know, we're, we can, we can maybe, maybe we can like win a game in the playoffs, you know, and, and you start start feeling it, and it's like, yeah, you build the momentum, and this is true in our own lives, too. You start making some good decisions. Man, oh, wow, it's, things are going well. I'm, I'm feeling confident. I'm feeling good about this. I think we can do this. I think we can do this marriage. I think we can do this parenting thing. I think we can do this, and you're building all this momentum. Momentum is powerful. It is powerful. A few weeks ago, I had everybody stand up, you know, who wanted to go higher with God in 2017. And like, you know, just about everybody in here stood up, right? So that's momentum. Like you feel, it's like, yeah, we're going to do this. And uh, it's good. It's powerful. But momentum is not permanent. It's powerful, but it's not permanent. Um, because it, it, it falls so easily. You stack up all of these really good decisions and then just one bad decision just one bad situation, just one drink too many, just one, just, just one bad decision, and that whole momentum just falls, right? Just one fumble on the goal line, one interception by Matt Stafford, uh, one injury for, to, to our running backs, one blown coverage, 70-yard touchdown pass, you know, on our defense, and suddenly, like, you're in trouble. You don't have momentum anymore. Uh, you lost momentum. And, and it's so difficult. It's so difficult to get momentum back. And so that's kind of what we wanted to talk about today. Um, I asked him, because I didn't think I was coming to this, I said, do you have anything that you want to share? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, actually, there's a scripture I've been looking And so I, I really want Amelia to share from that scripture. And just for the two of us, there's some things that God was speaking to me about. We just kind of blend this together. And it helps I'm sitting down. So and if, I, if I have to exit the stage quickly, uh, toward the restroom, you'll know, you'll know, you know what's going on, so it's all good. Yeah, absolutely. Take it away, Amelia. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, <laughs> so, uh, with that, we want to catch up with a story in the Bible um, with the disciples, okay, and and the disciples always make such great uh, teaching points because they're so relatable, and um, it's going to be found in the book of Mark, the fourth chapter. We're starting at the 35th verse, and, and up until this point, uh, the disciples have really um, had some momentum, okay? Starting in, in chapter 2, they see that Jesus hears this, uh, heals this paralyzed man. And moving forward, Jesus continues to do miracles. The disciples are now taking part in, in some of the miracles that Jesus has, has done. And, and some would say the disciples actually do have some momentum. Then we catch up with them in chapter 4, verse 35. They've just got done doing one of their um, Benny Hinn prayer meeting rallies, tent revivals. And Jesus says, it's time for us to get on a boat, and it's time for us to go across the sea. And that's where we catch up with the disciples. It says, on the same day, when evening had come, he, being Jesus, said to them, let us cross over the other side. 
Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already starting to fill. But he being Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. Praise God. Hallelujah. Sleep on a pillow. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And when the wind ceased and there was a great calm, he being Jesus said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey? We're in a series called Dream Again. But today, maybe I would like to pique your curiosity. We would like to, to dab into something. Maybe we could title uh, Dream Again, subtitle Precious Cargo. I don't know about you guys or, or you, Pastor Harry, but when I was a young kid, I was very, um, how do I say this, dramatic. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's had, not me. Yeah. <laughs> that's not no, me. No, complete opposite, <laughs> right? I can remember times as a young child when I would uh, be almost in tears, in hunger. My mom had not fed me in countless minutes, and it's like... I'm starving here, woman. That's how Jesus referred to his mother. So I just, I learned from a very young age, be uh-huh. like Jesus. Mother, I'm starving. I'm hungry. I'm going to die if you don't feed me. He's like, you, have, you ate two hours ago. Exactly. That's an hour and a half too long that I have not eaten, right? It's like, you don't build this body overnight. You know, this takes a lot of time, a lot of 30-minute meals, well. a lot of bags of, of Cheetos, right? Crunchy, not puff. Can I get an amen? And it's like, it's like, I was a very dramatic young child like like things were just such a big deal to me right like like I I couldn't process things like a normal kid I had to always make them really flamboyant and and just go really out of my way and just really be super dramatic and I would always assume the worst okay it's something about my culture I don't know what it is it's not my fault it's how I was raised I was a product of my culture you always just like assume the worst in life it's like, do you want to go out trick-or-treating? No, because you can get shot. Don't go trick-or-treating, right? It's like, it's like, okay, a little far, yes, but like I said, I'm working on this whole dramatic thing, right? And I think that maybe the disciples were raised by the same people who raised me because I can see in this instance where they're in the boat and they're a little bit dramatic. They're going through a little bit of a dramatic phase. And it says they're in the boat, a windstorm starts, and it doesn't give us much detail. All that it says is that oh, some water, right, got in the boat right it started to fill for me that's like you know if a little splash came in I'm like this thing's going down right somebody call Leonardo DiCaprio find me a door I'm floating my way to safety right like I'm playing Rose in this Titanic play out right I'm, I'm, I'm saving my life okay wow. just for the record okay we don't need to get into that okay really? I'm working on selfishness too don't judge me okay <laughs> and so water gets in the boat and it says that uh, the disciple Emilio says Jesus uh, we're dying here, and, and Jesus is asleep. And, and they say, Jesus, we're dying. Don't, don't you even care that we're, that we're dying? Don't you even have like a little bit of love from the Father God in your heart to care that we are dying? 
and Jesus is asleep. And, I, and as I was reading this scripture, I could relate so much to the disciples in, in how they're in this time and, and, and where it seems like all is going crazy and, and Jesus is asleep. And, and as I was reading, I, I believe God spoke to me and he said, Emilio, I believe you and others at times in your life experience storms that you're supposed to be sleeping through. That sometimes in your life, you and others experience storms that you were never even supposed to experience because you're supposed to be sleeping through. And, and, and it took me back, and I began to think about all these things, all these things that I've walked through and I've experienced and I've gone through the goods and the bads, and sometimes I've built momentum right? And then I've fallen down because of one wrong action or, or, or I've had a streak for a month or a year or, or six months and then it all breaks down and I feel like my wins quickly then turn to losses and all my victories kind of go away. I don't really feel like the New England Patriots who win all the time, right? I feel more like, you know, uh, another football team who doesn't win as much. Um, and, and, and it's like, it's like I'm in a storm right now. And, and I don't know what to do. And God's not really caring. He's asleep. And I'm like, God, don't you care that I'm dying? And I feel like he's saying, uh, well, why don't you just go to sleep too? If I'm asleep, don't you think that's enough reason for you to be asleep? Can I submit to you today that, that for some of us in here, there's storms. There's things that we're going through in our life right now. And you're saying, God, I'm going through this storm. I'm going through this storm, I'm going through this storm, and he's saying, I'm asleep, <laughs> I'm asleep, my alarm clock hasn't gone off yet, why don't you just try to sleep as well? Yeah, sometimes God does his best work when we're sleeping, because we don't get in the way, um, you know, like, I mean, he put Adam to sleep, and then he woke up married, so, you know, he Come went on to somebody. sleep single, I need to single. sleep a lot more, <laughs> Adam went to Come sleep on. single, <laughs> I'm just saying, you're not hungry when you're sleeping. That's true. Come on, somebody. Losing weight and getting married all you in your go. sleep. There you go. All, all in your sleep. We found the trick to It's life. like when you close your eyes and shut your mouth, God does some good stuff. You know. I receive that. He, that's when he can do some good things. So, so sometimes it is. That is the rest that God's talking about. The ability to when the environment is not what you would like, when it's going crazy for you to be able to sleep. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So Jesus then wakes up, right? He yeah. wakes up, which if he's anything like me, he wakes up super angry. Oh my gosh, did you guys really have to wake me? He's like, I just fed thousands of people. Can I sleep for 10 minutes? And it's like, no, we're dying. He wakes up and they say, they say, Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he then goes and he doesn't really address them yet, right? He, he could say something to disciples. He chooses not to. He then turns and he speaks to the wind and he rebukes the wind. And then he says to the sea, peace, be still. And I found that so interesting. And it was, it was a theory that Pastor Harry presented to me many years ago. When I, when I first met Harry, um, I, I was an intern at, at Promised Land San Marcos where, where he was on staff. And we went through some Bible studies. And I remember one time in passing, he made this comment, and it never left me. And he goes, I find it so interesting that Jesus rebuked the winds, but yet he said, be still to the sea. So I began to look into that, and I, and I think... Because rebuke is like telling off, like right. you're doing something wrong, stop it. But he didn't, like, so he told the wind that the wind was doing something wrong, and he just told the sea just to calm down. Just to calm down. And I thought that was so interesting, so I looked into it more, and again, God so clearly spoke to me. And he said, there's so many people, including me, and please, you got to know that whenever he's talking to me, it's usually because I'm going through something crazy. He's like, listen, 
you keep rebuking the sea, but the sea is just subsequent from the wind. And it's like, oh, God, that's so good. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that. But it's, but it's like, it's like, we get so focused sometimes on the sea, but the waves are only gonna do what the wind makes them do. So it's like, God, I'm going through all this stuff. Why can I not fix this one area in my life? It's like, look, I'm having a problem. I can't really figure out this whole, uh, getting personal, dating thing, right? Dating is just like awful, right? It's just like, it's a big headache, right? It's like, it's like, what do you do? How does it work? Come on, somebody. I got a, I got an amen area, right? It's like, you're on a date. You're like sitting there. You're like, do I have food on my face? Like, what's going on? Like, does she even care what I have to say? Blah, blah. You're going through all these things. And it's like, God, why can't I figure out? And, and it's like, dating is the sea. But if you figured out the real things that are going on in your heart, the wind, it's going to take care of the sea on its own. We keep continually rebuking the sea and pretending like the waves aren't even there. Right, because the sea is what caused the problems. Right. Right? The sea is what's coming into the boat. So that's what comes into your boat. That's what splashes on your face. That's what tells you that you're going to die <laughs> is the sea. And so the sea is the scary bit. That's what you're scared of. But the context uh, of the sea is this, this strong wind. And, and, and the wind will always affect the sea. So the, the context of your life will always affect um, your life. And I, I was talking to uh, somebody about this this week about how about how context um, at, can contribute to character. So so sometimes we get so upset at the sea, we get so upset at the actions, right? The, our our particular hangups or our our addictions or our anger issue, and we get upset at that, and we say, well, we gotta. We gotta, we gotta rebuke that. We gotta stop that. We gotta, we gotta. We, but you cannot calm the sea until you deal with the wind. And so the the wind is the context. The wind is the place. Like like where you are will affect who you are. This is true with regard to you know natural seeds, like you know sowing stuff and 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 and, and having some kind of farm. Like there are some things that'll grow uh, in Texas that won't grow in Michigan. Um, because of the environment, because of the context, you, you you can't. And there's some things that'll grow in Michigan that won't grow in Texas. I haven't seen any pine trees around my house lately. Um, where I had them all over the place in Michigan because because the context, the where you are, determines what can grow inside of your life. And so, if you don't like your waves, if you don't like who you are, you might want to think about changing where you are. You might want to think about changing what's who you're hanging out with. You might want to think about because you weren't so judgmental until you started hanging out with judgmental people, and you weren't so critical and you didn't complain nearly as much until you started hanging out with people that complained a lot. And so the context of your life will affect the character of your life. And it's not it's not the only thing because we, there are people who are in rough context who have great character. That is true. But 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 you cannot mistake the fact that the context of your life will contribute to the character of your life. And that's why I, I, I was talking to a family a few weeks ago about, about church. And I said, you know, so you haven't been coming to City Chapel. Are you going anywhere else? No, no, we've just been bad Christians, you know. And so we just kind of laughed about them being bad Christians. And um, as a pastor, of course, you know, that's just, it's funny to me because I don't think it's at all true. Like, it's not at all. Like, God's not up at heaven with a checklist to make sure, okay, how many times did you go to church in 2016? Okay, it's not, there's not a naughty and a nice list. There's a is and a isn't list, but there's not a naughty and a nice list. Like, you either are a Christian or you're not. There's not really good and bad ones. So it, I said, well, that's, that's not really what I'm saying. 
Like going to church doesn't make you a good Christian. Skipping church doesn't make you a bad Christian. That's not how it works. But church can be part of the context of your life or not a part of the context of your life. And I'm telling you, your context will contribute to your character. Your context will contribute to the kind of kids you raise, the kind of home environment you have, the kind of peace that you have in your life, the kind of uh, confidence, they, the momentum that we're talking about, it starts with shaping the context of your life. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a psychologist, um, no, a sociologist, he, he, he coined the phrase the broken window effect. And the idea is that if, that if the, that he's trying to trace crime epidemics down to something that, that people can manage, and he found that if you say there's a broken window in Emilio's house uh, and you're walking by Emilio's house and you're in Emilio's neighborhood and you see that broken window and Emilio never fixes the window. He never does anything about the window. It just remains broken. You, after a while, you're going to get the idea that nobody's really taking care of that house necessarily or at least broken windows aren't really that big of a deal or perhaps nobody really cares that much about this neighborhood. And so that'll lead to other things. Then you won't ever mow your lawn. You live across the street. You never mow your lawn. And it's, you know, like weeds. There's a jungle in, in there in your front yard. And then your next-door neighbor starts leaving, you know, his car, multiple cars that he's working on in the yard. And suddenly, the whole neighborhood starts going downhill. And this, these, these are just cosmetics. That's not a crime. It's not a crime to, you know, not mow your lawn. All of that kind of stuff is just cosmetic. But the problem is, as, 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 as the environment or the context of your neighborhood goes downhill, suddenly more sketchy people start moving into the neighborhood. People start doing more sketchy things. And then, and then if you have panhandlers out there on the side of the street, a robber will think, well, this is, might be a place that's, that's a little bit easier for me to at least not to not get caught if I'm stealing. And so crime will escalate in a neighborhood where it started with a broken window. So you've got you to gotta fix your windows. <laughs> you've got to deal with the wind of your circumstance. You've got to deal with the context. You've got to deal with the environment. You've got to deal with who you're hanging around, where you're hanging out, what kind of movies you're watching, what kind of music you're listening to, what kind of stuff is feeding into your brain because that's going to affect your character. And that's why, and that's why church is important, not because you get a special star when you go to heaven, but because, but because for me in my house, I want worship to be a part of our context. I want the Word of God to be a part of our context. I want our kids to be a part of a, a children's church where they get the Action Bible and they're excited about reading it when they get home and they're excited about taking it to their school because, because the Bible, the stories of the Bible are a part of their context. And that will affect their character. That will impact. It won't save them. It won't make sure they get into heaven. But it, it, all of these little fixed windows create an environment and a neighborhood where crime is not welcome, where, 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 where you know, these, these things that really, really do take down a neighborhood are just simply not welcome there. And so Jesus deals with that. He cuts, he, 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 he just ignores the waves for a minute, and he tells off the wind because the wind is stirring up the waves. Yeah, and I find it so interesting that even though, because when he, when he told off the wind and the wind stopped, the waves were going to eventually stop because there was no more yeah. wind. But he just had the grace because he knew how fearful they were mm -hmm. to be like, okay, the waves relax as well. Like, you know, because it would have just been a direct result. Like, I cut the wind, 
Give it five minutes, the wind's gonna stop. But God is just like so direct that he's like, look, I realize that you're scared. I'm gonna cut the wind, and because you're scared, I'm gonna deal with the waves as well. And, and I just find that like it's just such a rich like characteristic of well, his in Well, in that command, be still, is really what he was trying to get across to his disciples when he's sleeping. You know, it's interesting because uh, in that passage in Mark, it says that he was asleep in the stern on a pillow. Uh, did you did you guys catch that? Asleep in a stern on a pillow? Who brings pillows in, on boats? <laughs> Nobody I know. Um, and so when you start researching what kind of boat Jesus would have been in, this is not like a yacht. This is not even a two-story boat. This is literally, uh, um, they, they recovered a boat similar to this. They call it the Jesus boat. Um, it's over in a museum um, over in Jerusalem. Um, it's about it's about uh, nine foot long. It's almost like a canoe, only a little bit flatter. So it's about nine foot long and about a foot and a half deep. That's only how deep it is. So maybe that's why they were freaking out when a little bit of water got in there. Because but it was very wide. So it was about it was about three and a half, four feet wide, only about a foot and a half, two feet deep, and about nine feet long. Now this so so in this kind of scenario, where's the stern? The stern I think is the back of the boat or the front. I think it's supposed to be the back. The stern is the back, and they and they would always have a little bench. So this is what the Bible means by pillow. It means a bench. There was a bench in the back of the boat where the guy who was directing the rowers would sit. So there's a bench over here. The guy would sit here on the bench. He would have he had his twelve disciples. So so six on one side, six on the other, and he's able to see where they're going. These guys aren't even looking. These guys are just rowers, and he's able to give commands. Okay, left. Right, left, left, left. We got turned. Left, 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 left. Right, 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 left, right. He's he's calling the shots from this little bench. That's the pillow Jesus was sleeping on. So Jesus was in the commander's seat, like he was in the seat to give direction, to tell folks, "This is where we've got to go. This is what's going to happen." And he used his seat. He, <laughs> it sounds like he just kind of turned around and just sort of, you know, cradled his head, kind of. Like Kind of like I was this morning. Just kind of cradled his head right now. I keep making references to that. I don't know if it's gross or not, but it's funny to me. Um, he just kind of cradles his head on this bench, right, and goes to sleep. But he's still on the captain's seat. He, didn't, he never got off the captain's seat. He never vacated his place of authority. He just said, this is what I want you all to do. Here we go. Right here. Just... And, and he's directing... Still from the captain's seat. And that's the same thing he now speaks to the waves. Just be still. Just sleep. Just close your eyes. Close your mouth. Tell your mind to turn off. Just sleep. This is God's directive in the storm. Yeah. Yeah. And so he addresses the winds. He addresses the waves. And he turns his focus back to his disciples. And I can imagine there's this awkward silence. There very impressed, uh, taken back. They've never seen anything like this before. Uh, you guys, we read these stories in the Bible, and we're like, oh, we've heard these, some of us since we were children, and we may have been familiarized with all the amazing things Jesus has done. But for these disciples, a lot of times, this was like the first time they ever saw anything like this. This man literally just spoke to wind and waves, and they listened. So I can imagine there was this time that was very awkward, and it was quiet, and, he, and then he talks to them. He talks to them, and he says, Why are you so fearful? 
how is it that you have no faith? Two things that I feel came out of that. Two things. They were full of fear. Fearful, scared, terrified. And then he criticizes their faith. One, one translation says he rebuked their faith. He, he addressed it. What I really felt like in my heart was that when he talks about their faith, he says, you have little faith, one translation says. I don't think he was, he was talking about their faith to not be able to stop the wind and the waves. I don't think that's the faith he was talking about. I've heard this sermon preached before, on, on the story preached before. It talks about, you know, Jesus, he, he, he criticized their faith because the disciples couldn't stand up and rebuke the winds and the waves themselves. They had small faith. They need a, you need to grow your faith. You need to have faith that says, you know what, I can stand up and I can stop the wind and I can stop the waves. My faith is big enough to do that. I can talk to the, to the mountains and they'll be moved and I can do this. That's how big my faith is. But I think Jesus was talking about their faith to trust their faith to trust him their faith to sleep and I don't know about you but I've learned through life that sometimes it takes more faith to go to sleep than it does to talk to some winds and, and some waves to talk to some winds and some waves and and, 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 and it's funny because he then, he, then he, he touches on fear and he says you're fearful and I believe God I, I heard God say if you're fearing something, it's because you haven't fully given it over to me. Anything that you're fearing in life is because you haven't fully given it over to me. And that's why you're fearing it. And it reminds me of this story. This story, and I think I've told it before. Some of you may have heard it, but I was in the gym on a Saturday because I'm really committed. <laughs> and Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, somebody. Um, now I just need to sleep more. And... I was in the gym, and, and I was just about to go into my class, and there was a little boy, and he was climbing on a chair. He was climbing on this chair, and I don't know why he was climbing on this chair, but he was really just going after it. He was having fun. He was young. He was like two. His mom actually worked for the gym, and I saw him climbing on the chair, and just the way he was positioned, I'm like, man, this kid could really fall if he's not careful, and I, had, I came to a crossroad. I said, one, I can either tell this kid, get down, you know, be careful, kid, you know, not that I just, you know, watch yourself, be careful. Or I could raise, like my family raised me, he's like, let him learn, he needs to fall to learn, right? So I took my family's route, I don't know, it's just in me. So I was like, okay, I'm just gonna let this kid learn, maybe he won't fall, you know, does that make me a bad parent? I don't know, I don't have kids, so it doesn't matter. And I was like, let's just see what happens. Sure enough, boom, this kid falls. He takes a pretty hard tumble, okay? He's in this really weird position, his legs kind of catch the end of the chair, he falls, he lands solid on his shoulder, and immediately, I find humor, he begins to cry, right? Like he cries like loud, like too loud, like, oh my gosh, relax. Like it's not that big a deal. Like even I'm dramatic, I never did that. And it's like, kid, relax. He's crying. He's so crying. Mom then jumps like a gazelle, like, ah, you know, like mom, she just does her mom thing. She like goes around the counter, picks up her son, and, and she's caressing her son. He's still crying, right? She examines him to make sure. I put in my two cents. I'm like, he didn't even hit his head, right? So like, she's like at peace. He just like hit his shoulder and, and, and he's good. And, and so there's no like major thing. He just hit his shoulder. He's scared is all it is. He was so scared at the fall that happened. 
he, he was so shocked. He was, he was so in, in, in awe. He was discombobulated. He was disoriented. He was a, another disword that I can't even think of right now. And, and he's like, he was just so beside himself. And the mom looks and she knows that he's fine. He's just scared. And she looks at him in his face and she's like, hey, it's okay. I'm here. I'm with you. Like, mom's here. I'm the person that if anything's wrong, I'm going to fix it. And, and he doesn't even care that mom's there. He's still crying away, like his tears, and he's just like throwing himself out, like he's making it worse. He's doing that thing where you cry so much you can't breathe, like, <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh man, I'm just laughing harder and harder. And he's just like really just like in awe, and she keeps saying to him like, look, look, I'm here, you have my attention, I'm with you, you're okay. Like I'm here, you have my attention, I'm with you, you're okay. And he just chooses to focus on the fact that he just took this fall. And he's crying and crying crying, crying. The mom's just there like, hey, listen, you're going to be okay. But he's so fearful. He's so fearful because of what just occurred. And I feel like so many times that's us. That's us with God. And that's the disciples with Jesus. So fearful, so helpless, worried, crying sheep with the shepherd who is there, who, who we have his full attention, but yet we choose to focus on our fall. We choose to focus on our wind. We choose to focus on our wave instead of the shepherd who is there for us. Yeah, and that's how, how I want to finish today. I want to look at a uh, popular scripture, the 23rd Psalm, also known as Psalm 23. Um, this is, I feel like this is God's vision for us. Um, I feel like this is how we can dream. This is the direction. So for the next four weeks, I'm going to be looking through the 23rd Psalm. And we're going to break it down and really examine it. But today, I just want to start just by giving you an overview. This is, I think, if God has a dream for us, this is his dream right here. He says, and this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but this is David uh, writing this, King David. King David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'd like to go back to that first verse, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, I shared about this to the ladies last year in our women's retreat, um, but it's just, it's just amazing to me. The, the first line there, the Lord is my shepherd. It, it's it's kind of neat how David starts off this psalm. He starts it off with, with one of the loftiest words that he could possibly use. He says, the Lord. And the Lord is, uh, the word there is Yahweh. And that's the sort of official name for God. In fact, the Jews wouldn't even um, pronounce that name. It was so holy to them. Um, they would, if they read it somewhere, if they were reading this out loud, they would substitute it for another word called Adonai because they wouldn't even want to pronounce the name Yahweh. And in fact, the, whenever, whenever the, the scholars would write this and the scribes would write this, they wouldn't even write the entire name. They would, they would substitute because it was just too holy for them to actually write the whole thing. And after they would write the substituted name of Yahweh, they would go take a bath 
and they would throw away the pen that they used, the quill that they used to write with. They would burn it because it was no longer worthy to be used for anything else because it had just written the name partially the name Yahweh. That's the kind of devotion that the Jews had to this term. And David starts off his psalm, obviously with the bath, because <laughs> he says, let me, let me figure out who's, who, he says, the Lord. And then he, he sets down the pen, and he goes and cleanses himself, and he throws away the pen that he had, and it takes about an hour, and he comes back with another pen, and continues his story. So why would you bother yourself with such a, such a word, if such a word is going to be such a burden to you? Instead, David doesn't care. He, 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 he wants to set up for us who he's talking about. This psalm is a vision, I think, of our lives and our existence and what God has to promise and offer us. I mean, all of these attributes, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down. He uh, leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. But with every single one of these, these lines, it starts with somebody other than me. It starts with the Lord. This Psalm 23 is really not technically about us, even though it has a lot to say about what God has to offer us. Technically, the, the subject matter of Psalm 23 is the Lord, is Yahweh. And I, think, and I think that one of the things that we really need in our lives is the Lord. And by the Lord, I don't just mean, um, I don't just mean religion. I don't just mean uh, church. I don't just mean a Bible. I mean a Lord. I a, 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 a Yahweh. Yahweh means the one who, who causes all things, but is not caused by anything. It means the one who is at the beginning, but, but is not affected by anything. It means one who is greater than anything in our lives or in the world or any system or structure. I mean, the one who flung billions of galaxies into existence with each with their own set of billions of stars, and he calls them all by name. Like, this is the Lord. We, we, we need something transcendent. We need something great. We need something greater. And I think one of, the, one of the greatest causes of anxiety in our lives and fear in our lives is that we don't have a Lord. We have, we have things that we respect and, and books that we turn to and family members that can give us some advice. And we have a, a, a structure in our society and a, and a, and a, and, and a, you know, a political system. And we have some, uh, an economy. And we, have some, we have some things that are bigger than us, but they're really not that big when, in terms of the galaxies and the cosmos. You, 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 you need something transcendent, something above you and beyond you, something so much greater than you. And that's what God says that he is. He says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. They're higher. They're bigger. They're better. And that's not a diss on our thoughts. It's just a recognition that you need somebody who thinks higher than you. You need that in your life. You need this. And this is what David says. First of all, I want to tell you that, that the Lord, but then he says, is my shepherd. And that's a, a drop in status. <laughs> you go from Yahweh to shepherd. Shepherd uh, is not a romantic occupation. In those days, shepherds were kind of the truck drivers of our day. You know, you didn't necessarily have to graduate high school. As long as you can hold a stick, corral some animals, and stay awake at night, you're good, you know. And I've always sort of wanted to be a truck driver. I don't know. I, I enjoy driving. I like, I like gas station food, you know. Um, crispy or soft. I'm, I'm cool with any kind of Cheetos. Like, I just, I, you know, like Hostess Cupcake. Crunchy I can live on that. 
Crunchier puff. Crunchier puff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like I, I always used to get the puffy kind and just suck on them. You know, they were just good. Anyway, like you know, I'm I, like I'm all about that life. I, I'm like I, I, I can drive late at night. I can stay awake. I think it'd be kind of cool to drive a big rig. But anyway, David, David is basically saying the Lord, the highest idea that you can imagine, the highest, greatest power imaginable. And then he says, the Lord, let's see, let's see, what is he like? The Lord is, the Lord is like my truck driver. <laughs> really? Dave, come on, man. Like, like, maybe you're king, maybe the Lord is my king. The Lord is my president. The Lord is my Congress, maybe. The Lord is my school teacher. The Lord is my guru. The Lord is my something kind of cool. The Lord is my, you know, star NFL, my Zeke Elliott, you know. The Lord is my, I know, something. Like, like the Lord is my, shep my, 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 my shepherd. My Lord is my Tom Brady. He... He, he's always deflating balls and stuff. That's like Jesus, right? That's what he's doing. And then bringing him back to life. Never mind. Okay, it's all good. He's always getting suspended for five. Oh, never mind. Um, the Lord, but, you know, I mean, come on. Like, shepherd? You go from the loftiest concept that the Jew knew to, to put on paper or papyrus, technically. And then you go down to a shepherd? It's such a drop. It's such a drop. The Lord is my shepherd. You don't have to even have a college education to be a shepherd. But <laughs> lest we imagine that, that David is, is dropping our elevation of God, I want you to understand what he says right there. The Lord is my shepherd. He's not lowering his elevation of God. He's significantly lowering his elevation of himself. Because if the Lord is my shepherd, that means I am a sheep. Now, you got to remember, David's a king. Okay, he's got some momentum in his life. He's a king when he writes this. He wasn't always a king. He used to be a strong warrior. But a king is a step up. But before he was a strong warrior, he used to be a shepherd. But he never been a sheep. So he's made some progress in his life. He's made some momentum. He's stepped up a few notches. He's, he's got some accolades to his name. He's got some stuff in front of his name now, some, some, some abbreviations. But, but he's never... And when David says the Lord is my shepherd, he, he doesn't just drop the, his estimation of God down, but he drops it down in order to bring an understanding for his own estimation of his own life. He says, technically... I may look like a king. I may fight like a warrior. I may be good with animals like a shepherd. But actually, God's amazing dream for my life is be a sheep. And sheep are so interesting. I was talking to Ro, like, because my wife is from New Zealand. They know a lot about sheep. They, like, they literally do. I've been to New Zealand multiple times. There's sheep everywhere. And, um, uh, I, I was saying, like, what happens to sheep in the wild? How do sheep even take care of themselves? Because their their wool never stops growing. There was this, this what was the name of that, that sheep in New Zealand? Shrek. They named him Shrek. Because there was this one sheep one time that got lost. Like, he got, he escaped the, he got scared of being sheared. And so he, or sheared. And so he took off into the, into the hills of, of New Zealand. Um, and for some reason, they couldn't find him. New Zealand's, like, like the size of my backyard but anyway they, they couldn't find him and he was lost for how long 
five years. So five years, this sheep, they, they renamed him Shrek later, but this sheep was lost for five years. They finally found him in some little hill somewhere. He wasn't even able to move. He, his, 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 his wool had grown so big that he was just a big poofy ball. Like seriously, his legs, like he, the, 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 the wool had coiled around his legs, matted around his face. He wasn't able to eat. They said he was about to die because he was starving. And um, all because, why? Because he was on his own. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. Like, like cats can live on their own. Dogs can live on their own. Birds can live. Almost every animal God made can live on its own. Not a sheep. <laughs> a sheep's own body turns against it. <laughs> they, they can't even clean themselves. Birds, like, jump in a puddle, clean themselves. Cats are always licking. Like, they can clean themselves, but, but man, sheep cannot clean themselves. Sounds a lot like us, actually. <laughs> Our own bodies turn against us. We can't even, we don't, like, we know how to make a mess. We don't know the first thing about cleaning it up. And we just can't even, like, exist on our own. Which could be interesting because in the book of Genesis, you had Adam and Eve, the first two humans. Their kids were shepherds. One of them, anyway, was a shepherd. So the, one of the oldest professions, one of the oldest professions, is a shepherd. And maybe that's because they figured out these poor animals can't take care of themselves. Someone's got to cut their wool just so they don't die. And, and that's what David says. The Lord is my... So David identifies, first and foremost, with the sheep. And this is where life, this is where life starts. This is where all of God's promises, it starts in that first line. The, the question is, is the Lord your shepherd? Max Lucado wrote an alternative to Psalm 23, so I'd, I'd like for them to put it up there. And, and really, it's, he, he started off just by changing, just by changing that first line. Um, he says, I am my own shepherd. <laughs> I am always in need. I stumble from mall to mall and shrink to shrink, seeking relief but never finding it. I creep through the valley of shadow of death and then I fall apart. I fear everything from pesticides to power lines. Emilio, you got any more to throw in there? Okay, well, and I'm starting to act like my mother. <laughs> I go down to the weekly staff meeting and I'm surrounded by enemies. I go home and even my goldfish scowls at me. I anoint my headache with extra strength Tylenol. My Jack Daniels runneth over. Surely misery and misfortune will follow me, and I will live in self-doubt for the rest of my lonely life. That sounds kind of extreme, but actually, um, the lack of momentum I see in people, I think people identify more with that vision of their life than Psalm 23. All because they changed the first line. Instead of the Lord is my shepherd, they said, I am my shepherd. I will take care of me. I will look after me. I will direct me. I will guide me. I will guard me. I will promote me. I will sustain me. I will be my, I will feed me. Right? Just me and Jesus, we're going to go off and do our thing. Lovely. <laughs> but the context contributes to your character. You cannot escape. When you remove the Lord from being your shepherd and you set yourself up as your own shepherd, these are the things that happen. This is the character that comes out of that context. You're always in need. You never have enough. 
like you get and you get and you get and you never have enough. And that's what I'm going to talk about next week because he says, I shall not be in want. I shall not be in want. Many of us live in the prison of want. But it starts with, I am my shepherd. And so if I would challenge you and Emilio and I would challenge you in anything today, it is that you, you need a shepherd and it's not you. You need somebody to lead you, to take care of you, to feed you, to guide you. And it's so, there's so much freedom. When you, when you revoke all the weight of your life and it's not on your shoulders anymore, it's not that you don't take responsibility for stuff. It's that you don't take responsibility for the outcome of stuff. That you're not responsible for the end result. You're responsible for your part in it all. But you are not God. You are not your shepherd. You are not in the front of this line. You are not guiding this train. You are not leading this thing. God is leading this. God is leading my kids. God is leading my family. God is leading my finances. God yeah. is in charge yeah. of the economy. Yeah. God is in charge of the political system. Right. Right. God is in charge. I am not. I got one vote. That's all I got. <laughs> Didn't do a whole lot. It's my one vote. You know, and, and, and like, it, but when you take the weight of the outcome off of your shoulders, yeah. you put it on the one who's able. The one who's able to do all of the things that Psalm 23 promises. Take us out of the jail of want. Lead us beside still waters. Cause us to lie down in green pastures, which that's not always easy either. Anoint our head with oil causing our cups to run over, causing our, our bank accounts to run over, causing our gratefulness to run over. And, and following us with good and mercy, I mean mercy and goodness, following us all the days of our life and dwelling with him forever, preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies. These are the kinds of things that God wants to do for you, but it starts. It starts with saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah.